Soft Engineering Radio, episode 122, interview with Janos Tipanovic. This is Software Engineering Radio, the podcast for professional developers on the web at se-radio.net. SE Radio brings you relevant and detailed discussions and interviews on software engineering topics every 10 days. Thanks to our audience and the partners listed on our website for support. So Janos, uh, please introduce yourself to our listeners. Uh, my name is Janos Stepanovic. I am professor at Vanderbilt University. Vanderbilt is in Nashville, Tennessee. I'm director of the Institute of Software Integrated Systems, ISIS. Uh, ISIS is uh, a university-affiliated research organization. It's, uh, we have about 35 full-time researchers, engineers, uh, eight affiliated faculty, and uh, roughly 50 graduate students. So it's, uh, it's the size of ISIS is relatively big uh, relative to the usual academic measures. Mm-hmm. Uh, my interest, uh, research interest, is uh, in the design and implementation of systems uh, that are uh, both computational and physical. So they include computational components and physical components. Okay. Uh, Related to this, uh, on the computational part, I started working in the last, I mean, over 20 years ago on model-based design. Our take on model-based design is called Model Integrated Computing, or MIC. Distributed real-time embedded systems is a particular kind of uh, computational target uh, for model integrated computing. But you know that uh, you can do model-based design for just about anything. Yes. Uh, so that's one of the uh, target platforms, uh, the distributed real-time embedded system platforms. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, but uh, we are very heavily involved in uh, uh, in the system side of the overall uh, landscape, mm-hmm. uh, control digital signal processing, adaptive systems, and uh, I've did quite a bit of work in those areas as well. Mm-hmm. So in, in the material I, I used for preparing this interview, you talk about cyber-physical systems. Uh, sounds to me a little bit like the new buzzword. <laughs> uh, can, you, can you outline what those systems are all about? Uh, indeed, uh, it sounds like a new buzz, uh, buzzword, uh, particularly if you compare it with the usual embedded systems or network embedded systems area. But uh, let's, uh, let me just make a, a pitch uh, for this uh, new terminology. Mm-hmm. So, as you know, uh, many ways... Uh, one of the greatest uh, ongoing transformation in technology is uh, that uh, networking, computing, is more and more penetrating quite deeply into uh, physical systems. In fact, uh, we use these systems as a universal system integrator yeah. uh, these days. Yeah. Uh, that kind of deep penetration of networking and computing in large scale and even small scale uh, engineered systems, uh, what we build, is a major revolution. Uh, it, uh, it, it started uh, 20, 15 years ago, and that's gradually transforms whole industries. Mm-hmm. Uh, it goes so far that, uh, that these days, if you uh, look uh, engineered products uh, in major areas like avionics and others, 
the, the computational networking component uh, quite a bit exceeds 50% uh, mm-hmm. as value added. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, the, the traditional embedded systems view uh, of this area is, uh, let's see what the physicality in the environment does to computing, uh, specifically uh, how we uh, form requirements, how we build software for these systems, what kind of network properties uh, we build. Uh, but again, the focus is what the physicality of the environment does to computing. Uh, but there is a very important other side of the, the other side of the story. What the embedded computing and networking does to the engineer systems. Right. Yeah. Ultimately, that's what drives mm-hmm. the whole process. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, cyber physical systems try to emphasize that uh, what we are looking for a system category which uh, is so tightly integrated that you cannot uh, sort it out. Uh, what is the computational part, what is the uh, physical part, because both of these sides inherently needed to implement the new properties. So what we really want to look in the cyber-physical systems, uh, what are these new properties, what are the new qualities that the integration of physical and and computational objects uh, can uh, can bring in these systems. So that's what we mean by cyber-physical systems. Okay, so before we look at some of those properties and challenges, can you give us a couple of maybe a little bit more detailed examples of where these kinds of systems show up? You already mentioned, I guess, uh, avionics and, and probably defense. So, so can you give us an example so people can imagine where this kind of stuff shows up or is used? Uh, uh, all of those industries, what you would traditionally call systems industries, so mm-hmm. uh, aerospace, uh, yeah. Of course, all aspects of aerospace, uh, if you look at avionic systems, flight control systems, or just yeah, you, look mod- uh, you look uh modern airplanes, uh, right. yeah. they are clear examples for cyber-physical systems. Uh, uh, the other major industry is, of course, automotive industry. Yes. Uh, if you look at the modern cars, uh, the electronic con- uh, uh, content is tremendous, and uh, and the new features, what uh, what embedded electronic does to the cars, to the dynamics, the drivability, yep. the energy efficiency of the cars, yep. is huge. But there are many others: industrial automation, telecom, health and medical uh, equipment. So it's just about the most pervasive transformation that cross really across all uh, uh, major engineered systems. Mm-hmm. Um, you talk about a specific design flow that is relevant for cyber-physical systems. Can you, can you give us some details here? What I would uh, really advocate here is that uh, uh, the design flows, when you, uh, what you use for building cy- uh, cyber-physical systems, are inherently heterogeneous. Typically, uh, they cross uh, or they include uh, three major disciplines. Of course, software and computing is one general area. Yeah. But it also includes control uh, and systems engineering. Mm -hmm. Uh, Somehow the design flaws are uh, built as the combination of these different kind of engineering disciplines. Now, uh, the other part of it is that design flaws uh, are usually built such that, uh, that you have to highly customize them to the needs of the actual domain. Yeah. Obviously, design flow for uh, for uh, engine control or drivetrain control in cars uh, is 
uh, different than design flows for process automation because the nature of the system is uh, different. Your attention, uh, the, the optimization requirements are highly different. So if, uh, if there is one thing which is common in all of these design flows that uh, they have to be highly flexible, mm -hmm. you have to be able to define in the design flow uh, specific abstraction layers. Uh, these abstraction layers uh, uh, give a way to express your design ideas, uh, implementation ideas, where the other layers. And you compose the overall flow along uh, the usual step refinement mapping across these different abstraction layers. And um, so what you're doing here, and, and what's also probably going to be part of your Oopsla keynote, um, is that you use domain-specific languages um, for modeling or designing the systems on these different levels, right? Uh, yes. Uh, what actually uh, is, a, is a very interesting phenomenon that, uh, that in these three disciplines, software, control, and systems, but I may also need to append here uh, security engineering, which is becoming a very yeah. uh, important issue. Yeah. Uh, the different domains or subdomains uh, bring their own engineering disciplines and methods with them. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, control engineering and systems engineering uh, has been traditionally model-based. That's, yep. uh, that's how they train people. That's how they think. That's how the tools look like. It's, it's interesting, too, if, if, if you go to get together with control folks and they talk about, about models and then you take some software person and also use the term model, those people mean completely different things and often have a hard time uh, actually understanding each other. My, my girlfriend works in control automation. and <laughs> If we talk about model-driven or model-based, we, we hardly find a common understanding. But in the same time, though, the modeling languages can be different. Yes, What's exactly. really emerging that, uh, that because uh, modeling really gain uh, tremendous weight in software as well, yep. uh, that gives us an opportunity uh, to make a new synthesis. And yep. uh, basically, in, the, in my Upslot uh, keynote, I really would like to uh, focus on this new synthesis, that yep. uh, the, the opportunity for convergence uh, that all of these create. And, uh, and indeed, what I feel is that, uh, that domain-specific languages and, uh, and just the whole agenda of being able to look from a higher level, what are these languages? How can we define them? How can we compose them? Uh, gives us the opportunity for a major convergence across these areas. Yes, that convergence yes. is not done yet, but, uh, but certainly we uh, understand better, more and more uh, how it could be done. Right. Yeah, I, I agree. I'm, I, as you know, I also work in the, in the model-driven area, and I also always talk about that in my trainings, that, that, it, that you can also model hardware and stuff with, with modeling languages. And on model level, software and hardware are the same. They're part of the same model or set of models. And, and as you say, that gives you a very new way of, 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 of seeing all those things under the same, well, meta-meta concept or something. <laughs> yes. That's, uh, that's actually, uh, in our experience, it's, uh, it's one of the concepts that are hard to get through for, uh, for other disciplines. Uh, mm -hmm. the software folks uh, are very easily understand uh, uh, these different abstraction layers. And, yeah. and just the fact that uh, uh, the abstraction itself uh, can be the objective of design. 
you know, in, uh, if you if you look at the disciplines like uh, traditional electrical engineering, mm-hmm. uh, the the education is built up uh, in those areas such uh, that students are receiving as part of the education very precisely formed abstraction layers down to the notations. Yep, yep. yep. Uh, and uh, therefore, it's deeply ingrained uh, that uh, how I need to represent and deal with, uh, let's see, uh, linear system dynamics yep. or digital circuits. Right. Uh, this, is, uh, this is taught in one package. It never comes up that why would I want to change the notation? Why would I want to design new abstractions uh, for describing uh, a new domain, which is part of the whole software and computing mindset. Yep. So that's that, that's really the interesting uh, the interesting aspect of this whole synergy which is evolving. That uh, yeah. An interesting tangent here is maybe uh, have you heard about uh, Jeanette Wing's uh, computational thinking? Yes. I think that's very interesting um, idea or realization or whatever to teach non-computer scientists you know, abstraction, state-based behavior, and these kinds of things. Although they don't do software, it's still relevant for building systems. Yes, uh, yes, that's, uh, that's indeed a, a, a tremendous opportunity. And, uh, and frankly, that, uh, that convergence, which is based on the cross-fertilization of these areas, uh, is a huge promise. Yeah. So, uh, so I think that, uh, that that type of computational thinking, where one element of it is that you, uh, that you teach in other disciplines how you formulate, adjust, uh, modify, modify your abstraction, mm-hmm. is, a, is a very important idea. Yeah. Okay, so um, why don't you outline some of the main challenges in building those cyber-physical systems? One of the most important things, of course, in all uh, engineering systems is uh, composition. Yeah. Uh, Composition is uh, our bread and butter to uh, to manage complexity. Uh, you know that composition uh, has two aspects of it. One is uh, compositionality, uh, which uh, means that uh, uh, the properties can be computed from the local pro- system level properties can be computed from the part right. of the, uh, component and composability, which means that uh, that the components will not ch- change their properties when you put them into system. Yep. But uh, the, of course, this is a, this is a very, uh, very hard thing to do uh, if you are building uh, large interconnected systems that are uh, that are inherently heterogeneous. Yeah. Uh, what uh, what we usually tend to do that in order to manage complexity, let's say in cyber physical system, uh, how would you would, uh, do that? Uh, well, uh, this is our tradition. Uh, usually we build software, so there is a software discipline which will design the software architecture. Right. Then we define the control. Then we define the uh, the systems engineering part as separate disciplines, yep. as yep. if the other would not exist. Yep. But the other exists, of course, because we are designing exactly the same systems. There are a whole lot of interactions, and if you uh, stick strictly with, uh, uh, with this uh, uh, separation of concern idea, these interactions uh, are not modeled. You are sitting happily in, the, in your modeling world of control without considering uh, what the implementation, the computational components implementation will do to you yeah. uh, of your system dynamics. So uh, resolving these issues, uh, how can I reconstruct uh, or develop uh, theories uh, for 
composition in heterogeneous systems is certainly one of the uh, one of the major challenge. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, uh, and, uh, another uh, major area what uh, really uh, is just uh, inherently part of all model-based design is that we use tools. Uh, the whole model-based design is driven uh, by or opens up the opportunity to do tool-based approaches. Yes. Uh, so we engineer the system, we specify them, we refine the models, uh, we extend them, we transform them. And now if you look at the, uh, the design automation market uh, and uh, where are we in design automation in general for this kind of system category, uh, what you see is that, of course, wherever you have a massive market uh, which provides stability uh, and uh, longevity uh, for developing high-value tools, then uh, those tools are created and exist. Yeah. Uh, of course, VLSI design is a canonic example for yeah. this, where, uh, where these uh, high-value design automation tool chains uh, have been created. The situation is much, much uh, worse and much messier in CPS, uh, cyber physical system. Why? Mm-hmm. Because, uh, because there are so many of them. Uh, we need so many different kinds of flavors. Uh, again, as we were talking about it earlier, what you need design flows and related tool chains in automotive might be quite a bit different from the tool chains what you need for embedded yeah. sens- uh, sensor networks yeah. or for avionic systems. Do, do you think that, that SysML is a, is a you know, viable standard to, to, to create this bigger market so that good tools can emerge? Or is SysML has the same problem as UML in that it is too generic? Uh, yes, so that, that's, the, that's the problem. That yeah. uh, if, you, if you want to uh, buy out yourself uh, from uh, the need for flexibly creating and customizing design flows, modeling concepts, and create these uh, monolithic large languages, uh, then perhaps you can get a hope uh, that you recreate based on uh, large standards like the SysML, uh, the environment for uh, these complicated design automation tools. But, uh, But I strongly believe that uh, that uh, there will be always a variety. The, the, the areas across the different subdomains are, uh, I mean, the difference is so big uh, that yeah. it will uh, not allow to, uh, to select one or the other uh, standard over the, uh, as, a, as a dominant thing. So it's not like computer languages. It's, uh, the, the differences are essential. So there is no other way than just to understand uh, how to resolve the dichotomy? How can how can I build in a very flexible way highly customized design automation tools, but in the same time yeah. uh, not lose reusability? Right. So yeah. that's uh, th- that's basically the most exciting technical challenge uh, for this area. Right, I agree. And, and in software, it's kind of the same thing. I mean, many people say that UML is good enough for everything, but of course, the whole DSL advocates who just do software, like the meta-edit folks, or also myself, they, they strongly believe and, and know from experience that more specific languages are better. So even in the software world only, uh, I think this, this, this problem exists. Yes. Uh, yes. Uh, yes, indeed. And it's particularly essential in the 
uh, in this uh, cyber physical system yes, world yes. where heterogeneity is really going very yep. deep and yep. very far. Yep. Uh, two other things you talk about is certification and security. I guess the certification aspect is probably especially relevant in, in avionics and other like high-risk environments, right? Yes. Uh, certification uh, of these cyber physical systems is uh, uh, is one of the uh, one of the huge challenge that uh, the systems companies are facing. And mm -hmm. as you know, that uh, uh, that much of the certification related uh, standards are really highly process based. Yeah. Uh, uh, there is no such things that uh, that compositional certification. Uh, usually, if you make mm -hmm. any change in some aspect of the system. Uh, simply because of the lack of uh, compositionality in the overall system design and because of the unmodeled potential interactions across, you have to recertify uh, right. the whole system. Yep. And that's, uh, that needs to be uh, resolved. Certification, of course, is a major pro problem for the uh, avionics uh, folks, the, uh, the aerospace industry. Uh, you know, uh, yeah, I'm sure that uh, everyone heard these, uh, these tremendous cost numbers. How much uh, does it cost to certify a, a large new airplane? Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, it's, it's billions and billions of dollars. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and really, the, uh, the if if that issue is not solved uh, sooner or later, just. Uh, uh, the requirement and the cost of certification will uh, will be a, a huge pushback yep. uh, to build these systems. It's it's even in, in like general aviation, very simple systems, Diamond, who have a hard time certifying their new diesel engines. It's there is no there isn't much cyber physical systems involved. It's just certifying hardware. <laughs> so yeah. I guess if you do uh, cyber and software stuff, it's way more complicated. Even yes, yes. Yep. And, and of course, uh, hand in hand with this come the whole area of system integration. Yep. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, the system integration these days uh, uh, is uh, that you uh, build all of the components, uh, hoping uh, that at the end of the day, we just plug them together easily because plug and pay and, uh, and create the complex system and everything works. But again, the problem is the many, many unmodeled interactions. Yep. Uh, and uh, the result of this is that uh, this whole one-shot system integration, which is focusing on delivering uh, components in the system integration labs, is just not scaling. Uh, it's uncontrollable. The, uh, it's very hard to predict uh, what will be the cost. And usually the solution is that uh, people are just... Uh, uh, doing the uh, system integration by testing and right. testing and yeah. testing until yeah. the money is running out. Uh, <laughs> and, yeah. uh, and that, of course, uh, costs and uh, ruins quality and results in uh, tremendously expensive recalls in yeah. the automotive industry. Yes, and so, that. so that that whole issue has to be reconstructed. And, of course, there are new emerging very nice techniques that are uh, really uh, – that are – uh, model base that uh, that try to systematically approach this, try to do incremental. So you uh, you uh, you pursue uh, an incremental concept of system integration that mm -hmm. you always have 
some version of the system which is uh, which is operating where you can shift in and out uh, parts of the system yeah. from only modeled to uh, real hardware yeah. or real software in the loop uh, elements. Yeah. So there there is a huge transformation also what I see in the uh, in the whole system integration area. Yeah. So in your Rupslack keynote, uh, you're probably going to outline those challenges um, and 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 maybe some solutions, right? Yes, uh, I uh, I really plan to uh, to talk about these challenges, show examples uh, how this fundamental transformation is going on, and again, what uh, what I'm really captured by that I feel that uh, that very interesting convergence which is emerging across these yep. uh, isolated disciplines, and that has very deep impacts, uh, not only how we do the practice, but uh, how we teach uh, engineering. And, uh, and as an academic who is involved in, uh, in curriculum and, uh, and creating courses and so forth, that's also very important, a very yeah. important aspect of the overall story. Okay, then, uh, Janos, thank you very much for being on the Upsla podcast. And I guess uh, you did motivate people to actually come to your keynote, which is one of the points of this podcast. <laughs> thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for downloading and listening to Software Engineering Radio. Software Engineering Radio is an educational program brought to you by Hillside Europe. If you want more information about the podcast and all the other episodes, visit our website at se-radio.net. If you want to support us, you can donate to the SE Radio team via the website. Or you can advertise for SE Radio, for example, by clicking on the Dick Reddit Delicious and Slashdot buttons. To contact the team, please send email to team at se-radio.net. Or if it is specific to an episode, please use the comments facility on the website so other people can react to your comments. This episode of SE Radio as well as all other episodes are licensed under a Creative Commons 2.5 license. Please see the website for details. Thanks to Charlie Crow and the Podsafe Music Network for the music used in this show. The song is called Vegas Hard Rock Shuffle.